0: If, uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to turn to two places. Uh, we're going to turn to uh, the book of Zechariah, and then we're going to turn to the Gospel of Matthew. Zechariah, we're going to go chapter 9. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to go chapter 21. Uh, if you're looking for Zechariah, it's hidden. It's, almost, uh, it's near the end of the Old Testament, and so make your way about two-thirds uh, through the Bible, Go a little bit left and you will find uh, that incredible uh, prophetic word. And so we're going to spend some time there this morning. But uh, as we get started, I want to say this. uh, I am uh, beyond excited uh, to be back in the saddle. Uh, Summers are always fun uh, here at Merge. And I am very thankful uh, the past few weeks for uh, when Mark and when Swine and when Keith uh, when they came and, and the words that they brought to the pulpit here, uh, I am very thankful for their word, uh, for their leadership here at Merge, and uh, their their willingness to do those things uh, helps us. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, I was I was able to spend some time on vacation with my family, uh, which I enjoyed. I think they tolerated uh, because I was there. Uh, I was able to spend a week at uh with our father's children serving as a counselor for for two boys uh, in foster in the foster care system, and then last week uh, I was able to uh, spend time with our own merge uh, kids and students uh, during our summer camp adventure and uh, and what that does having those men step up and and fill in on Sundays is it helps me uh, give my undivided attention during those weeks to those uh those different groups of people and so uh, i am very thankful for that but i've been itching uh for a few weeks now usually it takes me about a week and then i'm like "Oh, i really would like to teach on sunday and so i've had to put up with listening to some of these guys that y'all had to saying oh man they're great um but i would really rather do what they're doing and so uh, but but I, I and i say that because i i i I love getting to teach the Bible here. And I love getting to teach the Bible to you guys. uh, And I don't take that privilege lightly. Uh, It's not just something I get to do. It's it's what I love doing. And uh, with that being said, uh, we get to come back into our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. We've arrived to the 21st chapter. Uh, By my count, I looked at it earlier this week. Uh, we We started this journey in January of 2015. Uh, and I think we're close to like 50 or 60 lessons and, uh, good news. We only have like 29 to 30 more lessons to go. Uh, and we will, we will have this wrapped up and you get like a big old belt, like a wrestler's belt saying, I made it. I survived all the way through. Uh, but, but we are, again, we're roughly about three fourths of the way through this incredible gospel, which, which primarily is just proclaiming Jesus as King. Uh, that's what we get to celebrate, uh, that Jesus is king. Matthew comes along and says, let me show you how uh, that's the case. And, and our commitment, and I feel like anytime we get to a series like this or get back into a series like this, I, I like to remind you our commitment here. We, we want to walk through the Bible slowly together. Uh, we want to allow God's word to read us. And we have this deep desire to see Jesus more clearly. And it's my belief that the faster you go through the Bible. Uh, the more easy it is to see versions of Jesus. But not see him fully displayed uh, in, in glory as the Bible intends. And so uh, we, what we want to do is we want to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. We want to use the Bible to encourage and challenge and reveal. And expose us in our desire to love God with, with all of our hearts. Uh, and to pursue holiness for the glory of his name. So we will walk slowly through the Bible. Because we don't want to miss even the smallest revelation that God has in store for us. Uh, and so uh, we're going to start in Matthew 21 today. Uh, and the next 9 or 10 weeks we're going to walk through 21 and 22. Uh, but, but I cannot express enough the significance of what we're going to find in these two chapters. Uh, because it really is one of the most important moments of Jesus' ministry. So let's pray and then, then we'll get going. Father, we, uh, we we come to you this morning and we are just so very thankful that you've gifted us your word. And I pray today that we would cherish it in ways that it deserves to be cherished. That that we would dig deep into it. That we would chew on these words. That we would wrestle with these words. That, that ultimately, Father, your Holy Spirit would speak to us over these next few moments. We love you. And we thank you for the miracle of your Son. And it's in His name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Uh, so, okay, so these two chapters... Uh, like I said, are incredibly important when it comes to understanding who Jesus is and and what He's come to do for us. In fact, over the next nine weeks, we're going to see this broken up in like three different sections, okay? Uh, The first one, uh, first section is going to be three signs. uh, And the signs are going to be pointing to Jesus uh, as our Messiah. And then we're going to see three parables taught where Jesus is going to declare to us His great worth uh, and then there's going to be three questions asked of Jesus that we're going to see Him as our Savior. Okay, So so these three things, these three components are going to become very important to us over these next couple of weeks because for the last 20 chapters, we've been seeing these three things constantly put on display. Uh, in fact, uh, what's going to come to more of a focus for us is, is that they will be more on display, more public than they have ever been before. And so we've been journeying with Jesus as He's going through all all throughout the land. We've seen Him in Bethlehem, to Egypt, to Nazareth, to Galilee, to Capernaum, to Gesinneret, to uh, Tyre, to Sidon, to Magadan, to uh, Springtown, to Caesarea Philippi. I threw that one in just to see if you were listening. And you all didn't respond, so I know you weren't listening. So... Uh, we've seen him in Jericho, Judea, and now, as strange as this sounds, okay, since Jesus has started his earthly ministry, this is the first time we're going to see him enter Jerusalem. Okay, which, by the way, if you know much about the the, uh, the Jewish Church, uh, this was a pretty big city for them. Okay, Judaism, this was the city of God, and so this is the first time we see Jesus go into jerusalem and as he does so uh we're going to watch him walk in as the way he walks in is fit for a king and this is what we're going to talk about this morning but before we do we need to keep in mind that that in this chapter uh 21 it begins recording the last week of jesus's life that's what's going to start here in fact uh Roughly twenty-five percent of this entire gospel will be spent in these final days, and so it would be it would be uh, difficult to exaggerate the significant the significance of these events. In fact, um, from this point forward, they are some of the most important words you're going to read. Oh, my ear just popped! Finally, okay, I'm sorry. It's been really distracting. You ever had an ear that needed to pop and it wouldn't? Uh, and so, thank you for your prayers. Uh, and so. So, so over this this period of about eight days, Jesus is going to enter Jerusalem. He's going to clear the temple. He's going to challenge religious leaders. He's going to institute the Lord's Supper. He's going to get arrested. Uh, he is going to go on trial. He's going to make his way to the cross where he will die as a sacrifice for the sins of mankind. A couple of days later, he will rise again. Okay, so this this section is incredibly important for our lives and. In fact, one of the things we need to remember as we encounter these is that this week had been decided centuries before. That, that there will not be a moment from this point forward where guys says, Whoa, 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 wait. what are you guys doing? In fact, we see a promise made in the, in the garden uh, in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, in fact, we call it proto-evangelism, evangelism. Okay? So this is, this is where God promises Jesus. In fact, he says this uh, as he's talking to the serpent, God says, "I will put hostility between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And So, so this moment is coming into fulfillment. Okay? So, so God, the Son of God ultimately fulfills the promise beginning this week. In crushing the head of the snake, in crushing Satan, in crushing the power of sin that leads to death. And so the events of this week planned before the foundation of the world are not just climatic for Jesus. They're climatic for us. Okay, And so what's going to be brought to the surface today, which has always existed, always existed, but now Jesus will allow it to be displayed, is that Jesus is king and our king is here. That's what we're getting to see, and so the question remaining for our exploration is simply this: what kind of a king is he? What kind of a king is Jesus and we're not going to have to go far to answer that question because the two places we're going to turn today are going to put those attributes on display so so let's read and then we'll kind of come back and we'll we'll explore about what these were these verses are saying about jesus so verse 1 in chapter 21. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, who is they, Jesus and his disciples, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me. How would you... You ever been sent on an errand by your boss and you're like, I don't think that's legal, Uh, this doesn't seem to be legal at all. So it says in verse 3, If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and He will send them at once. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Verse 6, The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them, the cloaks. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem... The whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And again, that's, that's a question that's been asked multiple times here in the Gospel of Matthew, right? Who is this? What kind of a man is this? Who is this Jesus? Verse 11, and the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from the Nazareth, the Nazareth of Galilee, okay? So this scene is what we call, in fact, I believe if you're in your Bibles, you'll be able to see it. Usually there's a subheading above it that says the triumphal entry. Right? When we uh, talk about Palm Sunday, this is the the scene that wraps around Palm Sunday when Jesus enters to enters Jerusalem and the way a king would enter a city. And what we're going to find out, he does so uh, in, he does so to every detail that a king would uh, enter, a season, enter a city, even down to the animal he's chosen to ride in on. Okay, uh, and so so there's this beautiful moment, though, and I, I love it, because uh, there's this moment where the crowd sees Jesus for who He truly is. They worship Him in a way fitting for a king, and, and they, they celebrate, they worship Him properly, even though this is very brief, they acknowledge their Savior, literally. They acknowledge that He is their savior and they bless him and they honor him and this is the point of every page of the bible to see Jesus very clearly for who he is to see him magnified to see him worshiped for who he is and so so we can let's spend some time wrapping our hearts around how Jesus is put on display in these 11 verses while we remember again that God has designed every detail of this scene, okay? Uh, so that we can see that Jesus is king. So let's, let's talk, and there's a lot of lesson points. We're not going to spend equal time in all of them. Uh, but but let's, let's talk about, uh, I'm sorry, let me get me where I'm supposed to be. We're in the wrong spot, aren't we? In my mind, this was supposed to work really easy. Let's talk about that. All right, let's talk about what kind of king Jesus is. Let's talk about what kind of king Jesus is. The first one is this, is that he is the divine king. He is the divine king. And you say, where do we get that from? We get it from verses 1 through 3. Okay? I want you to just wrap your head around, just for a moment, the absurdity of what Jesus asked his disciples to do. He says, hey, uh, go into town, and you're going to find, very specifically, you're going to find a donkey and a colt, they're going to be tied up. Okay? He doesn't say, hey, here's some money, go rent. Go. He doesn't say go to Enterprise and see if you can get a donkey for the weekend. Right? He says, no, you're going to go into it and you're going to see this. Okay, And then you're going to walk up and you're just going to untie it and bring it with you, which is technically stealing. Right? But if somebody says, hey, what are you doing? They say, the Lord needs it. And in that moment, Jesus says, it's all going to be okay. So it's all going to be okay. He has found this time in history for this donkey to be in this specific place for a very specific purpose. You can't write that. You can't. He doesn't just say, hey, go see, and he's crossing his fingers that it's going to happen. He is very divine. In fact, uh, he, he's divine in the sense that he is not altogether worldly. This is one of the greatest discussions about who Jesus is, that he is both fully man and fully God Uh, that that he is both fully man and he's fully God this is the kind of king we desperately need to make a way for us when we are incapable of making a way so he is described here as the divine king secondly he's described as the prophesied king and this has been important for us as we've walked through uh, the gospel of Matthew right because Matthew spends a considerable amount of time that when Jesus has taken steps, when Jesus is doing some incredible, miraculous kind of things, he says, hey, hey, by the way, this was already prophesied. In fact, let me connect you to what Jesus is fulfilling that God said long ago the Messiah would actually accomplish. And so, so and this is what we get to see in verses 4 through 5. And so so many times throughout this gospel, Matthew has made this point that God has always been in the process of redeeming mankind for the glory of His name. That God has always been in this process. That, that it's in these moments we're reminded that He's doing all of these things in the best ways according to His plans. Now, not in the fastest ways, not necessarily in the easiest ways that we tend to believe. Hey, God. You could have done this a lot easier if you'd have done it my way. No. That God has always been moving. And He has always been moving for the benefit of His glory. And we just so happen to get a benefit out of that as well. Being intimacy with Him. And this is what Matthew is trying to help us understand with Jesus. That He is the prophesied King. And and so, so what He does is He connects some dots for us in uh, a promise that's found in the Old Testament uh, through the prophet Zechariah. And this is going to be uh, helpful for us to understand more about Jesus. And we find this, uh, again, I told you go to Zechariah chapter 9. If you have your thumb there, go ahead and go back. We'll go back and forth for the next uh, three and a half hours. So, uh, and so, so this, is, this is what Zechariah says. Okay? He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. So the Jews, the Jerusalem. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Very specific about the king that is coming. Says says, Behold, your king's coming to you, righteous, and having salvation is he. He's humble. He's mounted on a donkey, on a colt. So on a baby donkey. That's why there's two. There's the mama donkey and the baby donkey. Okay? So so Zechariah prophesied uh, the message of God to God's people after they had come back from exile in Babylon. In fact, this all is taking place around five hundred and thirty eight BC. Okay? So roughly 560 years later, this prophecy is being fulfilled. All right, you with? Because you have 538 B.C., uh, so I guess 570, 570 years roughly. Because you have 30 more years once B.C. happened. That's why we celebrate Christmas, that everything got set to zero. And now we have 30 years, 33 years. So there's no way to do that math, Mark. I just tried to do it in my head. I am exhausted. Um... I should have wrote that in my notes, but that's, that's math. Math is dumb. Um, unless you're a math teacher and then you have a very important job. All right, So, um, so, so what happens here uh, is that there's a remnant of Israelites who go back to Jerusalem. And their intention is to rebuild the city. They are out of exile. They are coming back into their own identity as the people of God. Uh, and, and this marks an incredibly joyful time but an incredibly difficult time. Uh, In fact, God's people had repeatedly, repeatedly seen the tragedy of failed kings. Even the good ones. Even the good ones have these moments of, of tragedy in their lives. Okay? And so all of the Old Testament, as you read about the kings, you have to understand they're very flawed people. And God has promised a king that is not flawed. God has promised a king that will do for them what no king is capable of doing. And Zechariah held out hope and he promises a day when God would send our king. In Zechariah 9 verse 9 begins this this note of joy and light of the coming king. And it specifies the way he would arrive. And, and so, so over 500 years before Jesus came, God promises that a donkey and a colt would be available this week. Would be available this week before Passover for Jesus to ride into Jerusalem. That, that's not coincidental. That's providential. Okay? And that's, that's the way God works. He's providential. There's, there's no coincidence with him. And, so you, and again, you, you don't write a script like this unless you're God. Unless you're capable of fulfilling all of these promises. It's, but not only does he stand as the prophesied king in this prophecy, he's also uh, the, the righteous king. The righteous king. In fact, it says this in verse 9. Uh, behold. Your king is coming to you, righteous, and, and having salvation is he. Sounds a little bit like Yoda, right? Um, but, but that's the way it's written. Uh, and if you're paying attention, uh, you're like, oh, wait a minute. There's a line in Zechariah that's not in Matthew. Why is that? And anybody thinking that? I did uh, this week. I was like, that doesn't line up. So there's this line in Zechariah talking about Him coming as righteous and having salvation. And it's omitted in Matthew simply because of the fact that at the time, that was being fulfilled. That He wasn't righteous until He goes to the cross. Because at that point, He could have very easily ducked out, right? Uh, He could have said, no, we're not going to do it that way. He could have chosen sin still, I guess, technically. And so, so we don't see it in Matthew, but we see it written here that, that Jesus still must make the sacrifice on the cross. He must defeat sin. He must defeat death. He must still rise from the grave. He must still ascend, and He must still prepare a place for us, which He has told us He's, he's doing. And so on this side of the cross, however, we get to see that prophecy, that, that word of Zechariah is uh, fulfilled. It's come true, and that's why we can worship Jesus precisely. Precisely because He is righteous. And precisely because He brings salvation. He gives us our right standing before God, our Heavenly Father. And moreover, uh, it says that that He would be righteous and that He would be victorious. That He would be our Savior King. He would be our our Savior King. We find this in Matthew verse uh, 9. And I'm sorry, in Zechariah. Nope. Matthew and the crowds that went before him and they followed him and they're shouting Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna literally means savior. Literally means save us. So they they cry Hosanna, which is a quote from Psalm 118, uh, verse 25 and 26, where the psalmist cries out, Lord, save us. Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. Lord, please, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So they're looking at Jesus, and they're giving him a declaration that is very fitting to him. That you would save us. Hosanna. And the timing of these events, it's, it's crucial when we understand the significance of, of these quotations that, that the week that Jesus is entering into Jerusalem is the Passover week. Okay? So at the time of Passover, Jerusalem would swell to about five or six times the amount of people that is typically in it. People would flock to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Now, the Passover is a very significant moment in the lives of the Jewish people. Okay, it takes you all the way back to uh, the book of Exodus when the Israelites are in slavery are in, under the oppression of the Egyptians, and God has decided, God has declared as He has heard the cries of His people that they will enter back into the promised land, the land that Abraham had founded. And so, so, what as if you've ever watched The Prince of Egypt or if you've ever watched um, The Ten Commandments, you kind of know this story, right? Uh, Moses goes in and says, let my people go. and Pharaoh says, no. And then there, eventually there are these plagues. And the last plague is the death of the firstborn. And God says, tonight's the night. You guys are going to go. And he says, to protect your home, you would take the blood of a lamb and you'd put it over your doorpost." And when the angel of the Lord comes through, he is going to wipe out the firstborn of them all, unless he sees the blood of the lamb on the door. And after that moment, Pharaoh relents, and he says, get out. And the Israelites, it says that they plunder the Egyptians. They couldn't get them out of town fast enough. They give them gold, they give them clothes, they give them livestock, they just say, just go, just go. Just go. And it's this moment of great celebration. In the New Testament, we have what Jesus has done for us on the cross. In the Old Testament, the the Jewish people had what God had done for them uh, through the the Passover and through the Red Sea. So that became to them this moment of great celebration. So every year, they would come and they would celebrate that God passed over them and rescued them Out of slavery. And so it's a very significant moment. And now what we find is that Jesus is entering in and he is the Lamb of God. Uh, That's what John the Baptist, how John the Baptist described him in John uh, chapter uh, 1. He says, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so now we see Jesus entering into this city as the Lamb of God, as the one who is inaugurating a new and a greater exodus. In fact, he comes into Jerusalem during this Passover week, and it's no coincidence, but how he comes is amazing to me. That he comes as the peaceful king. He comes as the peaceful king. And you say, well, how, how do you know that? And I'm going to tell you, and you can tell all your friends this, because this is really, it's fascinating to me. Like, why, why would he ride in on a donkey? Right? Because when we think of kings, a donkey, you don't imma- you, you imagine somebody like Don Quixote you know riding in on just some insane kind of guy uh, riding in on a donkey. You know, you think of a king, you think of an animal that is worthy of a king, and you think of a big, strong war horse, right? Uh, you think of a Clydesdale, uh, something like that. And now here's, here's what you need to know: that when kings would enter into a city, what they rode in on would declare their intentions. And so if a king was representing war and wanted to present power, uh, he would ride in on a war horse. It was a symbol to everybody, his intentions. But when a, it was not very uncommon for a king to ride in on a donkey because the donkey symbolized peace. Okay? So when Jesus rides in on a donkey, it's not because there wasn't a horse available. It's because He's making a very specific statement about His intentions. Because Jesus enters this city, people are worshipping Him as he, they should as Savior, and He comes in and He says, I am bringing you peace. And you say, well, what kind of peace? He I'm going to bring you peace with God, and I'm going to bring you peace with man. That's, that's what Jesus does. He brings us peace with God and he brings us peace with man. In fact, uh, Luke, when he records this account, he notes how the crowds cried out and they cry out in a different, uh, when, in a line that Matthew doesn't mention. He says that, that they, say, they say, peace in heaven and glory to God in the highest. And then as Jesus drew near to the city, uh, there's this moment. It breaks my heart, but he weeps over Jerusalem. And he says, if, if you knew this day, what would bring you peace? And so his intention is that he is bringing peace to people who by nature are enemies to God that they are enemies to God. You find that in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. This is, and we know this about them because we know this about us. That by our sinful nature, we are enemies uh, with God. And so Jesus brings this message of peace. Peace between God and man and peace between men. We are reconciled to God through Christ. And we are reconciled to one another in Christ. That, that's that's why a lot of you guys love me in spite of me. Because the love of Christ compels us to love one another. And so Jesus walks in on the back of a donkey because he is the Prince of Peace, as Isaiah 9 would say. That He is the Prince of Peace. Now, here's, here's what's interesting about the crowd, because we wouldn't miss this too is that their concept of a king was different than what Jesus was actually bringing. Now, Jesus is actually bringing something better to them than what a king in their mind would have brought. They thought that they were bringing a king who was going to release uh, the Jewish people from the Roman rule. Because right now, they are occupied, at this time, they are occupied by the Romans. And they thought their king was going to come in a political way. That a war would be started. That they would finally defeat their oppressors. And again, Jesus comes as a king, just not the way they expected. And it's this beautiful reminder that there are expectations we have in this world about the way things are supposed to be. And more times than not, our very limited view of the way things should be are wrong. And Jesus says, I am bringing you peace. I am bringing you strength. I am bringing you the ability to, to take on whatever that adventure is. You might not be doing it in the way you expect it. And that's good news for you. And so we see Jesus come as our peaceful king. Then next we see Jesus come as our global king. Okay, this is what's being said about Jesus in Zechariah chapter 9. And He shall speak peace. Okay? He shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. And, and this is fairly self-explanatory that Jesus is king over all. He is king overall. That that there's not a, a, a prime minister that he has to bow down to. There's not a president. There's not a leader. There's not There's not a councilman. There's not any person in the history of the world that Jesus has to bow down to. He is a global king. There's not one thing that is not under the rule of Christ. So even in those moments where we think that he might be weak, he's not. Even in those moments we think that he might not know what's best for us, he does. Because there is not anything in all of creation, in the heavens or the earth, that, has to, that, that he bows down to. And this is great news for us. Because if you are found in him, the salvation he has accomplished is great news for every moment of your life. Because you have been grafted into his inheritance. That that you have access to the Father through Him, and so related to His global reign is is another another a nubble um, that's not even a word. Uh, another important theme that surfaced all throughout this that He is uh, the messianic King, uh, He is the messianic King. That Jesus is the Messiah, and and I love this scene because I I believe what started as just a gentle moment of celebration builds into this small thunder, and then as Jesus is erupting, people are laying their cloaks and their palm branches down, and they begin shouting, and there's this moment of great elation where people are seeing Jesus, and it says that it shook the whole city. That people were talking, "What, what is going on over there, who is that guy? And the people have shouted, Hosanna, the son of David. The son of David. In fact, uh, this is this is the prophet. This is what they say. This is the prophet uh, from Nazareth in Galilee. And the phrase son of David continues to be used in Matthew's gospel. It appears as early as, as chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, that, that Jesus has been portrayed as the Messiah, the promised Messiah, the King who would come in the line of David. So every time they say the Son of David, they are literally saying the Messiah, our Savior Messiah. That's what we have in Jesus, a Savior promised one. Messiah, come save us. The crowds may not have known how Jesus was going to save them uh, since this was still yet to be fulfilled, Uh, and it wasn't clear uh, to them that this conquering king would also be a suffering servant, uh, that the Messiah would save his people from their sins by the shedding of of his blood during this Passover weeks. And so the significance of all this eludes them, but it doesn't us. That they saw in real time what we see in hindsight, and we can worship in a fitting way to it. And then lastly, we see Jesus come along as the prophetic king. As the prophetic king. It says this in verse 11, And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And now this that might not seem very noteworthy <laughs> that they would call him a prophet, because really that's that's a facet of him, right? Uh, people would call him a, a prophet like somebody would call me a, a father uh, or a pastor or a friend. That, those are all components of the whole of me. Uh, but, but to call Jesus a prophet in some ways seems to belittle really his incredible worth. Uh, but but it's, it's noteworthy when we see this in the context of what Matthew has been saying. Because Matthew 21 gives us this glimpse of the fulfillment of the Old Testament. That Jesus is our prophet. He is our priest. And he is our king. That he fulfills all of these roles. And he fulfills them perfectly. Okay, So as we see him enter into Jerusalem. We get to see him declared and displayed this morning as king. Right? Next week... Uh, We're going to watch him walk into the temple and it's going to get really awkward for the people who are there uh, because Jesus is going to go ballistic in a holy anger. And we get to watch him as a priest. And here what the people recognize is that he is the prophet. He is the one who is revealing the word of God. And that's what a prophet does. He reveals the Word of God. He tells people the truth of God's Word. In fact, this is important to us because we need Him to connect us to the heart of the Father, which is one of the most amazing things that Jesus does for us. When He has conversations in the Gospels with religious leaders, it isn't because He wants people to think He's smarter than they are, because He is. It's not because He wants them to think that He's more popular than they are, because even though He is, it's so that He can explain to people the heart of the Father. Because He has a whole religion of people who have taken the heart of the Father and twisted it to their own desires. And He comes in and He says, No, 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 let me explain to you that God is for you. Let me explain to you that God loves you. Let me explain to you the price that God is willing to pay to have an intimate relationship with you. It'll be me. It'll be my death on the cross. Let me explain that to you. And as the greatest prophet, what he's doing, he's doing what all the prophets have done uh, since Moses. He reveals the truth of God to the people. And what he declares in the opening verses of chapter 1 are some of the most prophetic words yet. Uh, And he doesn't even have to open his mouth. He doesn't even have to open his mouth. He brings peace for you and me with a God who is working towards our undeserved redemption. He is bringing us peace. All this time, Jesus has been explaining the heart of the Father to us. Let's start wrapping this up. So, so let's, let's ask this question. Why is any of that significant? Right? Right? I gave you like nine points about how Jesus, what kind of a King Jesus is. Why is that important to us? Why why do we spend our time this morning getting our hearts around the many attributes of King Jesus? Why why don't we? This is I think this is a fair question. Why don't we spend more time searching for parts of this passage that deal more applicably to us, right? Uh, that maybe help us find out how to be a better friend or a better co-worker, why why don't we spend our time doing that? Why haven't we worked toward finding three simple steps for whatever better life we're looking for in these verses? And and we've done so because seeing Jesus displayed properly in the Bible is our best way of seeing our great need for Him. Because you needed a king. You need a king And now, we we don't like that idea, right? We don't like the idea of us needing really anything apart from our own abilities. But what we desperately need in this world was a king who could rule us in the best ways. Who can care for us in the best possible of ways. So we work hard in the Bible and at times it's, a, it's more difficult than others to see Jesus put on display because we need to see Him more clearly so that we can understand better our deep and constant need for His movement in our lives. There's not one second as a Christian you don't need Jesus. There's not one second as an unbeliever you don't need Jesus. And so we fight at times to see Him put on display We need peace. He came in peace. We needed a king to rule because we are horrible gods. We make horrible decisions at times. And the times we make good decisions, it's only because he told us to make those good decisions. And so we get to Matthew 21, and we have to make a choice of stepping off the stage sitting in the seats and watching something beautiful happen on stage. That we get to see Jesus come in and we get to declare that He is our Messiah. He is the one that God has promised to rescue us. And that He is our Savior. That's why those verses are so important to us. Because we get to see Jesus as our, our Savior. Our desire this week is to love God. by. Please stand with me. So we wrap up, we want to make prayer available to you. We believe in the power of prayer. We know there are things going on in your life that you don't want really anybody knowing about. Uh, we think that sharing the burden through prayer is a great way of doing life with one another. And so there will be some people up here that want to pray with you. Uh, Mark and, and Kelly and Lacey, they'll be up here. We want to pray with you. Maybe you've never asked Jesus into your heart. Maybe you've never seen Him or seen your great need for Him. We pray today would be your day of salvation. That declaring with your mouth that He is Lord, that confessing your sins, that we find our right standing with God through Jesus. And then maybe you just want to take some time through communion. Those elements are available. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the love that I have for these people. And I confess that 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 love is given to me because of your great love for us. And I pray this week we would dive deep towards seeing our need for your son and his great worth in our lives. That he wouldn't be just another compartment of of who we are, but that He would be it. That He would be all of it. That He would be every one of our victories. That He would be every bit of our praise. That we would celebrate that we have peace because of Him. We love you.